on. I'm on You're listening to a special edition of Ithaca Now that we are playfully naming Politica, focusing on the elections in the Ithaca area. We're your hosts, Michael Memes, Dan Orlick, Tara Lynch, Vedant Akari, and Antonio Fermi. Thanks for joining us. This week, you'll hear how the early voting and polling process has gone so far. Hand sanitizer and masks at early voting locations. Get one last rundown for voting and races in Tompkins County. And how to exercise your right to vote in a safe and efficient manner in the middle of a pandemic. Hear from candidates at the 50th District State Senate race. We went through a dark period there for about 10 years where we as voters uh, stepped aside and let our elected officials run the show without our voices in the room and on. As well as candidates from the 125th New York State Assembly District. Permit, a vendor's permit. What are we doing? But first, let's hear what's going on outside of the election with our community beat. Earlier this week, Ithaca College announced returning to South Hill, a plan to reopen campus for in-person learning in 2021. The plan states that classes will start on January 25th with remote-only instruction, and on February 8th, the school will introduce a hybrid learning model that will allow for both remote learning and in-person classes. Classrooms, dining halls, and other indoor public spaces will be set up to facilitate physical distancing. The school said that if COVID-19 cases should rise again during the spring semester, they will respond as directed by government or public health officials. Ithaca police arrested an unidentified suspect for hate crimes in the area. This suspect allegedly posted anti-Semitic graffiti and posters in downtown Ithaca. The police are investigating and searched the suspect's home where they found more hate posters and explosive materials. Ithaca's First Baptist Church is planning a 48-hour prayer vigil beginning on the eve of Election Day. First Baptist prayer vigil will begin at 9 p.m. on November 2nd and continue until 9 p.m. on November 4th. Quote, how you pray, where you pray, for how long and how often you participate is up to you. End quote, the church said this week. The Ithaca YMCA is facing closure. Many residents have gotten rid of their memberships due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The organization is asking those former members to come back. Lapsing memberships are costing the YMCA big, $15,000 a month. Membership has been cut nearly in half, amplifying these expenses. The city of Ithaca announced on Thursday that the Aurora Streetery will remain closed to traffic until November 16th in order to continue offering the extra space to restaurants. The city said it received several requests to extend the outdoor dining season in the city and wanted to continue to support local businesses during the pandemic. And downtown Ithaca welcomed two new small businesses this week, Sparka Numbers on West Green Street and La Bodega on North Cayuga Street. La Bodega serves authentic Spanish tapas and sells Spanish groceries, while Spark and Embers is an indie home goods and clothing store. For Antonio, for me, I'm Tara Lynch for WICB News. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Michael Memes. In a very different election, while many still are waiting for Election Day itself, millions across the country have already voted. 
WICB correspondent Kristen Maitry reached out to the local Board of Elections to hear how that process has gone and how they've worked to keep people safe. Just before 5 p.m., I called the Board of Elections to find out about early voting numbers, polling data, COVID-19 safety measures for poll workers and voters, as well as early voting locations. I'm Christian Maitry for WICB News, and I spoke to Stephen DeWitt, the Democratic Commissioner for the Board of Elections in Ithaca. He gave me the following information. As of our phone call Wednesday evening, the Board of Elections recorded the early votes of 5,146 Tompkins County residents, and the Board of Elections processes these votes at an approximate rate of 100 an hour. In terms of COVID-19 safety measures, voters and poll workers will be provided with gloves, hand sanitizer, and masks at early voting locations. They will also follow social distancing guidelines. The only two early voting locations in the Tompkins County area are Ithaca's Town Hall on North Tioga Street and the Crash Fire Rescue Conference Room at the Ithaca Airport. The deadline for both early and regular general election voting is November 3rd. For WICB News, I'm Christian Matry. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Vedanta Kari. In one last update, correspondents Himadri Sait and George Christopher give the rundown for major races and the voting procedures in the local area before Election Day on November 3rd. Election Day is almost here, and something that's as important as casting your vote is casting an informed vote. We bring you updates on three election races in Tompkins County, the representatives stand on important issues and how to exercise your right to vote in a safe and efficient manner in the middle of a pandemic. For New York's 23rd District, five-term incumbent Tom Reed, a Republican, takes on Democrat Tracy Matrano in a rematch of the 2018 race for the 23rd District seat. Reed managed to win the 2018 race with 54% of the vote. Reed served as the mayor of Corning for two years prior to that. Matrano has spent her time prior to politics as Director of Information Technology Policy at Cornell University. Matrano has made this past a focal point of her campaign, saying that Congress must pursue cybersecurity and gain a larger understanding of the Internet. Matrano has also attacked Reed as being neglectful of the community and for refusing to debate her. Reed, on the other hand, has run on his experience in Congress and achievements during the coronavirus pandemic. Reed has also come into conflict with Ithaca Mayor Savante Myrick after Myrick urged Governor Cuomo to allow a monitored heroin injection site in the city, which Reed opposes. The goal of such programs is to prevent overdoses among users. Reed was also named an honorary chair of President Trump's re-election campaign. He pushes his belief in gun rights, having been endorsed by the NRA and received an A-minus rating from them, and also supports concealed carry permits across state lines. Mitrano has received an F from the NRA, despite touting personal history with firearms and insisting she would defend the rights of responsible gun owners. Mitrano specifically states she opposes the current immunity the gun manufacturing industry has from civil suits, which she says speaks to the problematic level of control special interests hold in Washington. With the race now in its final days, Reed is expected to retain his seat. GHK forecast gives Reed a 94.9% chance of victory. A poll released on October 6th by public policy polling showed Reed ahead of Metrano by 7 points. Despite this, Metrano has continued to display the differences between herself and Reed in weekly media calls. But the race has taken on a more negative tone, 
with neither candidates pulling any punches in their advertising campaigns. While Reed has attempted to portray Metrano as a radical, Metrano has attacked Reed on supposed improprieties in his tax records. For state senate, incumbent Republican Thomas O'Mara is looking to retain his seat from the 58th district for a sixth term. Opposing Senator O'Mara is advocate and Democratic nominee Leslie Danks Burke. While O'Mara is a veteran senator, Burke has touted her work as an advocate for groups like Planned Parenthood. Burke previously ran for state senate in 2016 and ran for the U.S. House of Representatives four years before that in 2012 to gain the Democratic nomination. Mr. O'Mara has pushed his previous record and relationships with local officials that he says can help him represent the 58th district. He also stressed his work to protect local manufacturing industries. He believes that business creates jobs, not governments, and is against tax increases and supports decreasing state spending, mandates, overregulation, and oppressive property taxes. Ms. Burke has argued that Mr. Omara is out of touch with the struggles of everyday people, especially young people. Ms. Burke has pushed an agenda of bringing jobs back to the 58th district and help offer more opportunities to young people looking for work. Burke has expressed support for lowering taxes and prioritizing local farms, and is also a proponent of the New York Health Act, proposing universal health care and holding drug companies accountable for price gouging and the opioid crisis. Burke has specifically expressed support for investing in clean renewable energy to act as a job creator in the 58th district. Last is the race for the 125th District New York State Assembly seat. This is an open seat with incumbent Democrat Barbara Lifton choosing to retire after this term. Running on the Democratic side is Tompkins County legislator Anna Kells. And for both the Republican and Libertarian parties is former Marine Matthew McIntyre. Ms. Kells has pushed her record as county legislator on issues such as youth tobacco use, environmental protection, immigrants' rights, and affordable housing. Ms. Kells is also a supporter of the New York Health Act for universal health care, and for defunding the police as a way to tackle racial injustice. McIntyre has stressed traditional but moderate libertarian positions on most issues such as healthcare, drug policy, and firearm policies. McIntyre has suggested bioremediation and removing restrictions on the hemp industry, among other policies to address climate change. He suggests healthcare reforms in the form of consumer-driven healthcare and ending anti-competitive institutions, among others. More information about the candidates and their stances can be found on their websites. Moving on to the voting process itself, according to the Tompkins County Board of Elections, it is crucial that people follow COVID-19 guidelines wherever they vote. These include maintaining six feet of distance and wearing masks and gloves, which will be required in all polling locations and will be provided at the locations for those who do not have them. All poll workers have been trained in COVID-19 protocols. Important information regarding the elections, including timelines and sample ballots, can be found on votetompkins.com. And for those who may not have access to the internet, pertinent information can be found at your local library. The Tompkins County Public Library is open Tuesdays and Thursdays, 10 to 1, and is also open on Saturdays, 3 to 6. For further information, you can call the Tompkins County Board of Elections at 607-274-5522. The Board of Elections also emphasizes the importance of making a plan for your election process, especially for first-time voters. This plan should include things like what time of the day you plan to go, which voting location you will go to, and looking at the entire ballot prior to actual voting. It also includes whether or not you choose to opt for early voting, 
which is recommended to reduce the density of people in voting locations on election day. Early voting ends on Sunday, the 1st of November. You can find election information on votetompkins.com or the national website, vote.org. Election day is November 3rd, and every vote matters. For WICB News, I'm Himadri Seth. And I'm George Christopher. You're listening to The Canal on WICB. I'm Dan Orlick. News Director Jay Bradley spoke to state Senate candidates for the 50th Senate seat as they wrapped up their campaigns. The full interviews with candidates Leslie Dinksburg and incumbent Tom O'Mara will be available on WICB.org. With Election Day coming closer and closer, and early voting having gone on for days now, elections and predictions are only heating up. As we near the end of their campaigns, I caught up with the state Senate candidates in the 50th Senate District in New York to get their stance on the issues. Challenger Leslie Danks-Burke, running on the Democratic and Working Families Party tickets, says her background is as... I'm a mom, I'm a lawyer, I'm a community volunteer and advocate, and I see that young folks are leaving our region because they can't grow up and find a bright future here, and I'm getting in there to fight hard for my own kids and all the kids in our region who... Serve a brighter future. Having done advocacy around education, healthcare, and economic development, and having served on nonprofit boards, she previously ran in 2016. Since then, she's added that a real concern about how money in politics corrupts the political process and how voters get pushed out of the room because uh, the huge corporate interests are dominating the playing field. And what I did was found Trailblazers Pact which started out just in New York State, but real quickly expanded to working across the Eastern Seaboard, and now we work across the country, to support candidates for local level office. So think town boards, village mayors. So why is she running? She says it's to get a real seat at the table. We need someone who's actually going to get in there and advocate for us. We've had 40 years of neglect around here. We've been represented by the same folks from the same party for decades. They didn't get anything done when they were in the majority up until uh, 2018. Our senators, our Republican senators upstate had the majority. Uh, now they're in the minority. They've been in the minority for the last year and a half and they haven't gotten anything done there either. And we need someone who's going to get in there and stand up to the powerful interests of any political party. I think the powerful interests are actually nonpartisan. They're not allied with any political party. Their interest is in padding the bottom line and in buying out politicians who help them do that. We need uh, elected officials who are gonna stand up to those folks and get us our fair share. Leslie said that on day one, she'll introduce a bill to move the Medicaid mandate off property tax rolls to get rid of property taxes that disproportionately affect lower income brackets in a way not present in other states. Uh, But what's happened in upstate New York is we have learned to settle. We don't have to settle for this. Republican incumbent Tom O'Mara was proud of what he's been able to do so far in the legislature, having served now since 2010. Certainly the biggest accomplishment uh, has been uh, the, the cap on property taxes. You know, New York uh, has a, a overwhelming uh, tax burden on individuals and businesses, uh, the property tax being one of them. Uh, so, you know, we pushed very hard to get a, a property tax cap uh, and that has really stemmed the growth of property taxes. Uh, In the nine years that we've had it, it's it's saved uh, property taxpayers uh, over $20 billion uh, in property tax growth throughout that period. 
Tom says that the pandemic has only heightened a need for manufacturing to be brought back stronger in the United States. And I think we're poised in New York to be able to take advantage of that, particularly with regards to medical equipment and supplies. Uh, and, and we're looking at ways now that we can incentivize and grow that here so that we don't get caught uh, in these situations where we're, you know, we're not in control of our own supply chain, relying uh, on other countries. Uh, my motto has been government doesn't create jobs, business does. Uh, but we can help foster uh, in government uh, a more friendly and a more competitive business environment that we have not had in New York uh, for, you know, 40 years. When asked how he wants to help bring these business opportunities back, he said... Uh, and it's going to take uh, a nationwide effort uh, and a strong focus right here in New York. Uh, I think we've seen uh, a great effort uh, in recent years uh, from the federal government in dealing uh, uh, with the trade deficits and the loss of jobs overseas and trying to uh, bring some of that back. So we still have that base here uh, that we can grow off of. Uh, but it's certainly not what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago, as the decline of, of uh, manufacturing in this country started moving to uh, cheaper nations throughout the world that uh, uh, exploit their labor uh, and don't provide uh, the benefits uh, that companies uh, in the U.S. Uh, and in New York State provide. So uh, it's going to take a concerted effort uh, to make it cost competitive for these businesses uh, to be here. Tom also sits on the Environmental Conservation Committee for New York, and he also says that the environment remains a high priority for him. He says that he has pushed for funding and programs to prevent invasive species, fund the Environmental Protection Fund in New York, and pursue renewable energy. I asked both candidates what their most important issue was going into the election. Leslie replied right away, Taxes. The very high taxes that burden regular working folks and make it impossible to get ahead in this community. If we lived in a world where we were paying those taxes and that money was actually coming back to us for our bridges and roads, our schools, our kids' future, our economic opportunity here, then sure, that'd be one thing to talk about. But that's not what's happening. We're paying these exorbitant taxes into the system and the entire purpose of that is so that the downstate billionaires can get off scot-free and not pay any taxes at all. That's ridiculous when working and middle-class families are having to subsidize the guys who pay nothing at all, and that's the folks at the tippity-top who are making out like bandits. Tom pointed to a similar problem, but through a different lens. Uh, it's definitely uh, the economy and jobs. Uh, it's by far the biggest issue. That's my focus. Uh, as I said, my efforts uh, are on really focusing on the manufacturing part of our economy because I think everything else will grow uh, off of that. But, you know, into, into that uh, calculation of the economy and jobs is, is the overall business climate in New York State. Uh, and that really has to do with, with our overburdensome tax system. Uh, you know, we do have the lowest uh, state income tax rate for individuals that we've had in 70 years. You know, that's a little bit um, uh, good news, uh, but uh, our higher tax brackets are higher than uh, anywhere uh, in the country. Uh, so taxes at all levels, property taxes, as I discussed at the, at the beginning. Something looming over everyone, too, is the dark winter many have anticipated, not only due to COVID-19, 
but the increase of mental health concerns and addiction. I asked the candidates what they would do to support those who face these issues. Tom said he was involved in many efforts throughout the years to combat some of these problems, and that he pushed to get facilities in his district, and was on the Senate Opioid and Heroin Task Force, but also says he's had to fight with Cuomo's administration from pulling back on mental health services. Uh, We have uh, increased uh, funding for addiction services, and in particular uh, opioids, uh, by uh, over $100 million. you know, that, that's not enough, but it's an expensive process. Uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, however, in his tenure, has been reducing mental health beds at our state psychiatric facilities consistently. Uh, I had to fight uh, nine years ago to keep the Elmira Psychiatric Center open. Uh, and that's the closest one to our area uh, without having to go to uh, uh, Binghamton uh, or, or Syracuse or Rochester. Uh, so it's important that we have those, uh, those uh, services locally where individuals can um, actually get there uh, and get back and forth. He also says that regarding COVID-19, there were some excessive regulations. and I think uh, uh, the governor was a little too heavy-handed with, with certain closures uh, and too slow to reopen um, uh, as things got better. Uh, so... Our local businesses uh, really struggled at the outset for for uh, the little, very little impact that we had. You know, to, to shut down uh, uh, construction uh, in the spring uh, uh, the way he did for for you know a couple months uh, was was uncalled for and unnecessary. That that construction couldn't continue uh, in the circumstances we found ourselves. Uh, most outdoor activities uh, uh, were able to continue. Uh, you know, didn't didn't reopen uh, restaurants uh, and bars. Uh, you know, even with the just the outside limitation, didn't do that soon enough. Um, right here at home, uh, but everywhere, it's going to need uh, uh, that type of uh, uh, cash assistance to uh, to get things rolling again. Leslie was similarly critical of how the state dealt with these issues, not just now, but over the past many years. The mental health concerns that we have here in the Southern Tier and the Finger Lakes area were there long before COVID and they're exponentially worse now. Uh, Folks with mental health concerns are isolated now in a way that they were not isolated before. Uh, They can barely access the very few programs that were there in the first place uh, and, and now they're being completely shut out. We have a real mental health crisis in uh the state of New York and in the whole country. And it's exacerbated by the opioid epidemic, which is just ripping holes in one family after another across our rural communities. We need to get in there and solve some of these problems. It intersects with law enforcement concerns. Uh, Our law enforcement personnel are very clear that they have been tasked with solving mental health concerns uh, that landed on their shoulders when the state yanked funding away for mental health about 10 years ago. And we've got to go back and solve some of these problems because they're exacerbating the, the uh, challenges that we already have in our communities. Another big topic on everyone's minds, the Black Lives Matter movement against police brutality and the counter Blue Lives Matter protests supporting law enforcement. I asked the candidates if there was a way to reconcile the groups and how they would do so. Definitely both sides can be respected. Definitely the voices of any Americans as 
they rise up to discuss the challenges and the opportunities that we see in our American future have to be present at the table. That does not mean that both are equally valid. It is true in America that systemic racism is causing the deaths and the uh, misfortune for millions of black and brown Americans. And we have to recognize that fact of systemic racism in our community. We can have that conversation and we can also have a conversation about law enforcement funding and what that should look like going forward. It does not mean by bringing both sides to the table that every single person has an equally valid perspective, but that also doesn't mean that everyone doesn't have an opportunity to be heard. Uh, well, uh, in my view, there definitely uh, is a way to respect both sides. Um, both sides uh, have uh, legitimate concerns uh, and issues that are their priorities. Uh, I think it's been very unfortunate on the Black Lives Matter uh, side that, that it's been used in certain areas. I think the, the protesting and demonstrating has been used uh, as cover uh, for um, certain anarchist uh, interests uh, throughout the state and taking advantage of that. Uh, those, uh, you know, that have the concerns of the, uh, uh, and everybody has the concerns. And I can assure you that both sides of the issue have the same goal. Uh, and, and that is uh, improving relations between law enforcement and the community uh, for providing for safe communities uh, through through good and, and respected uh, law enforcement. Uh, it's going to take uh, uh, improved communication uh, between the two. It's going to take community forums uh, to be uh, set up by the different groups to, uh, to welcome each other in, to hear their grievances uh, in a peaceful manner. And, and by and large, in our area, uh, they have been peaceful, but they haven't been completely peaceful. And when they cross the line, um, you know, law enforcement needs to do their job. Uh, and, and, and these, these groups, uh, that are legitimate and have their grievances, uh, should also be very strong in making sure that their, um, their right to demonstrate and protest is, is not taken advantage of by those that, that want to sow, uh, anarchy. Writing graffiti, uh, on the side of buildings is property damage. That's criminal mischief under the law. Uh, individuals that pursue that line should be arrested and prosecuted. Uh, for that, or it's just an infringement upon individuals' uh, First Amendment rights to free speech and assembly. Leaving off, I asked them what else they want to say to voters. I've worked in, uh, very hard and fought hard for, uh, uh, for you know, state aid uh, where it's appropriate uh, in our districts. Uh, one of the areas that I've led on uh, has been uh, funding for local highway and bridges uh, called CHIPS funding. Uh, that goes directly to our local governments to help them uh, maintain the capital needs of our roads and infrastructure. Uh, and I've been very successful at that. Um, but that's a priority. Uh, and working on that, you know, I'll certainly continue uh, to provide that necessary funding to our local governments to be able to keep up that infrastructure that is important in our daily lives and in commerce. I'm optimistic. I think we have real hope ahead of us. I see the hundreds of thousands of people pouring out into the streets to vote early as a sign that 
this country has its brightest years ahead of it. I think that we went through a dark period there for about 10 years where we as voters uh, stepped aside and let our elected officials run the show without our voices in the room enough. And I think we're taking that back. And I think that makes us a better American people. And I, I for one, see real opportunity on the horizon. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. The full version of these interviews can be found on WICB.org. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Antonio Fermi. Last week, we spoke to County Legislator Anna Kells, and now Correspondent Jordan Broking spoke to her opponent. As a businessman and former Marine, Matthew McIntyre is running for the 125 district seat. McIntyre said he was called by his peers to unseat Barbara Lifton from the role. I had a group of constituents that asked me if I'd be interested in running to unseat Barbara Lifton, who at the time had no desire to retire until she had opposition. And then she was like, okay, time, time for me to get out. Um, so that's, that's why I'm running. If elected, McIntyre said he wants to reduce the overreach of the government across the state. He believes numerous things are currently being overreached, with licensing being the biggest issue. You could throw a dart at a board and it'll, it'll hit something. Everything from licensing, hell, if you just look at, you know, um, your options of cable suppliers, um, Spectrum, they, we literally have a state-ran monopoly on your cable supplier. I got either Spectrum or Verizon. Neither one's the greatest. I don't have the option of Frontier. I don't have the option of Infinity. I don't have the option of Cox Cable, which all would love to come into New York State and compete for our business. But the government has signed deals and everything to only allow their people access to certain things. That's overreach. I mean, you go... You want to go look at the stars at a state park, you have to pay a license to look at stars, which are free. I mean, you look up, you have to pay the state to look at them on state property. Uh, come on now. In addition to that, McIntyre also spoke about how he believes children's lemonade stands are also being overreached as far as licensing and permits go for that activity. Last summer, we're fining children for having lemonade stands without having a a, a, a permit a vendor's permit what are we doing these are kids they're 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 trying to hone in and capture their entrepreneurial spirit what better way than to let them run a a, a freaking lemonade stand i'm a business owner myself and the amount of licensing regulation and everything makes it to where it's not even worth trying to own a business in this state to reduce the amount of licensing across new york mcintyre says new laws need to be created in order to replace the older licensing laws such as legalizing adult use cannabis to reduce the government's enforcement over the hemp industry. And the industry is so highly regulated. The, the licensing to get in is so expensive that the government is literally the only barrier to entry for people to get into this industry. But we need to loosen up those, those regulations. And the way we do that is by making other laws that either restrict the current one or make it null and void anymore. The pandemic affected many businesses, including smaller ones in the local area. McIntyre said he reduced regulations and licensing on those mom-and-pop shops to help them be financially stable in the future, and not like other companies who left New York due to those same rules. Within the past few years, we've seen that with Remington. Remington has moved out of state. There are a lot of companies, um, Rubbermaid down here in Cortland, left because of the regulations. 
we have a lot of companies, big companies that employ a lot of people that offer a lot of good products with the regulations and, and the laws and everything that the state puts on them, they leave and, and they have no desire to come back. So with the reduction of these regulations, A, we allow small business owners the ability to open up without tapping into their investment capital. But we also allow bigger companies to come back to the state. Another issue McIntyre wants to address if elected is firearm reform. McIntyre said he thinks the people want to defend themselves, they should have a gun permit, and he wants closed firearms to be allowed to be transferred across the state. The reason for that is because the Second Amendment is the one amendment that protects all the rest. You want to protect your right to speech? Well, guess what? You better have a freaking gun that tells the government we're, we're willing to lay down our lives for our freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. Perfect example, and I hate to say it this way, but perfect example was Brianna Taylor's boyfriend. You want to protect yourself against un- illegal search and seizure, you have that gun. Now, it was a disaster and a tragedy that she lost her life in that, but that was his constitutional right to protect himself and the ones inside his home. That's why the Second Amendment is so important. The reason why is because there are groups of individuals in New York State, and, and not just in New York State, but nationally that are more prone to violence and they are you know women the minority communities and members of the lgbtqt they're they're subject to being victims of violent crime now the average response time of a police department even if you live across the street from the freaking department is around 25 minutes the average response time of a person carrying a firearm is anywhere between a minute to a minute and a half, greatly increasing your chances of survival from a violent attack or a violent crime being committed against you. McIntyre says state needs to allow minority communities and women to protect themselves, which he says are the people that are showing the most interest in firearm training right now. Turning to the environment and energy, where McIntyre wants to retrofit the power plant in Lansing to go nuclear. McIntyre claims that would emit small amounts of CO2 in the air and that level four safeguards in place won't allow full uranium rods to melt to completion like those in Chernobyl. A plan to construct a nuclear power plant in Lansing was abandoned in the 70s after public outcry over environmental factors regarding Cayuga Lake. If we start doing that with our nuclear reactors that we have now, we could actually produce enough energy that will power the entire state easily, but we can also sell it to Canada, Pennsylvania, the surrounding states around us for an added revenue to lower our tax burden in the state. And it's massive. McIntyre compared that to a company in France right now that is doing the same thing with its French counterparts in Canada. But why can't we do that? The French have clearly figured out why can't we do that. Let's lower our tax burden. Let's get some uh, excess revenue in here. McIntyre explained that the state's grid is outdated and that going nuclear will upgrade it by using less energy. He also claimed that while solar is a good supplement, it is not a sustainable and environmental source of production. We can't do that here in New York. We have migratory birds. If we mess up their their, um, their travel, we're gonna kill a lot of birds with with these with these uh, solar uh, with not solar but with the wind. So that's why I'm going towards nuclear. Nuclear. We already have nuclear power plants. Let's retrograde them. Let's get that moving because we're not gonna be messing up the environment. As I mean, right here in Portland, they just clean clean cut probably. 40, 50 acres of woods to put a solar farm in. Yes, that's that's really environmentally safe and friendly. 
Let's cut down a bunch of trees to put up a bunch of metal. According to a study conducted in 2014, between 200 to 400,000 birds are killed every year due to wind turbines. This, however, is only a fraction of the amount of birds killed by cats or due to cell radio tower collisions. As far as mandatory vaccines go, McIntyre said he will oppose every bill about mandatory medical intervention if elected to the state assembly, including a new coronavirus vaccine when approved. This is due again to what he believes is a government overreach. The government is not there to protect us from ourselves. They got to give us the information and allow us to make that decision for ourselves. What the government's there to protect is life, liberty, and technically property. Because our government was founded on a Lockean idea that once we touch stuff, once we mix ourselves with it, we become what we mix our hands with. So that's why it is says the life pursuit of happiness originally was actually stated as property. But, you know, it's Cuomo and the rest of them in there, they could take the shot. That's that's up to them. But for them to come down and tell everybody else, here's the plan and you guys have to get it. Well, you know, that yellow flag will fly again and don't tread on me because there's going to be a lot of people that will fight back because it's wrong. In the draft for Governor Cuomo's coronavirus vaccination distribution plan, the state says it will administer a vaccine to any New Yorker who wants it in the face approach. Prior to this, the state's clinical advisory task force says it will ensure vaccines effectiveness and safety. This will not be a mandatory vaccine for the public, but some lawmakers, including McIntyre's political opponent Anna Kellis, want to see it added to the mandatory vaccination list for students attending public or private school across the state. The CDC said it's important to get the vaccine as it boosts immunity and acts as the best protection from COVID-19 in combination with other protective means such as social distancing and wearing masks. McIntyre also wants to expand child gardens across the state, which are nonprofit child care organizations. This he says is better as it doesn't use taxpayer money and he believes that people can get better services from private sectors such as health care. You got Medicare, Medicaid, or you got it from your employer. And what's better? You get better doctors when you go through, you know, Fidelis, uh, not Fidelis, Cellus, Blue Cross Blue Shield, as opposed to whatever, you know, quack doctors the, the, the government says you're authorized to use. We get the same result, but we don't increase our tax burden, and it's not another, project, uh, another program that we have to fund farm basing, which means increase of taxation, um, through, through the government. As far as education goes, McIntyre wants to end traditional education at the 10th grade to allow students and families to determine what they want to do for the last few years, while state provides that child with funding to make the decision for five years. An example being that funds from state can help the student pay for college if they choose to attend it. McIntyre said he believes this is the right move for schools to make, as it will not cost New York to lose federal funding for helping students in the state attend higher education. The New York State Constitution says that we got to pay it. We're going to pay it. Well, what's going to happen is then you're going to see an increase in tech schools pop up. You're going to you see an increase in, you know, college prep schools pop up. You're going to see the tuition magically be what is offered by the state at community colleges for kids to get, you know, their, their two years of um, gen ed out of the way the tuition of regular colleges for two years are magically going to be what the state offers because it's free money. Um, and we allow these kids to make, you know, the mistakes in the first two years on our dime. 
as opposed to, you know, you go to school and it may be four years if you're, you know, truly dedicated to what you want to do before, or it's five or six because you changed your major. And now you're, now you're stuck with that student loan. Now you're stuck with the additional years of student loans. But what this is going to do is we're also going to lose federal funding. Okay. We're going to lose federal funding. So we're actually going to start making money because yes, we lose that federal funding, but the amount in salaries and benefits and everything like that for these administrators that the state has to pay is going to be in surplus. So we're going to make money, which means we could give more money to the districts, which is going to increase everything for these students, better teachers, because the salaries are going to increase the better, you know, better benefits, better everything. It's going to be a better overall education system. McIntyre said he is also against the New York Health Act, as he claims politicians have called the system broken, and he doesn't understand why more money should be allocated towards it. So why are we going to put more people on the system? I, I'm, I may have two business degrees, but adding costs to a program that already doesn't work doesn't seem like a logical thing to be doing. McIntyre also thinks that the VA system is bad and that it was a good thing President Trump allowed veterans to see doctors outside of VA network. He also doesn't believe that the government should have the ability to read over insurance policy documents and force people to do things they don't want to, such as getting the coronavirus vaccine when it's released. I don't want to give them that power. They shouldn't have that power in the first place. I'm not, a, I'm not a, an employee of the government. I'm, not, I'm no longer in the military. You don't have that right. When I was in the military, I circumvented my constitutional rights. I'm not giving them up now as a civilian to a decronian state government called New York. And I'm not going to give that to, to them to have anybody else have that kind of power over the people. McIntyre thinks he's the best candidate for a job as he calls himself a fighter and wants to defend the Constitution in Albany. And that is what need, that, that's what we need right now in Albany is someone who has been blue collar, who's been white collar, who's put their hand up and said, you know, I, I will give everything up to my life for the Constitution of the United States. We need someone who is going to take the warrior ethos and, and the Marine Corps spirit of Corps that I have into Albany and tell these guys, no, you're wrong. Tell these guys this is not the way it's going to be and actually fight. I love a good fight. You know, ever since I was little, I've always been someone that would fight for the people that can't, who, you know, I'm a, I'm a martial artist. I'm a fighter. And that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Albany and I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight for something for life or death. And that's because that's exactly what politics is. It's a life or death situation. And I'm going to fight for life or death. To learn more about McIntyre, you can visit his website at MatthewMcIntyre.com. For WICB News, I'm Jordan Brooking. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Tara Lynch. Thanks for sticking with us. One of the most contested primary races this spring was the 125th Assembly District. Out of the many Democrats running in the primary, Anna Kells took the Democratic nomination. Correspondent Jordan Broking reached out to her campaign to see not only how she stands in the race right now, but also what it's like to run a campaign while keeping your office. With election day just about a week away, Anna Kels is working to win the general election for the 125 district seat while continuing her role as a Tompkins County legislator. I'm, I'm always wearing those two hats. 
Um, so on, on the, the hat of my campaign hat, um, I have uh, continued to, to reach out and do sort of COVID updates um, and daily summaries. Um, but that's, you know, I, I, I'm doing that more in the context of my legislative hat um, in, or more just from my heart. You know, COVID is an extremely scary experience and we're all isolated and there's so much information coming out and it's really hard to get all of it. So um, I was doing daily summaries and those go out to about 10,000 people uh, every time I do them. So that's just an organic way that I've stayed in touch with residents. As far as her campaign hat goes, and they recently participated in numerous town halls, including one with the Latino Civic Association, while she and her campaign worked on numerous phone and texting banking initiatives. But the big difference the general election is bringing to Kellis is the number of candidates she's running against this time, compared to the New York State primary last June. Next week, voters in the area will have the opportunity to vote for Kellis or Libertarian Matthew McIntyre. However, during the New York State primary, Kellis faced off against six other contestants for a Democratic nomination. Kellis said she has kept herself aligned on what she said in the primary and also expanded on some topics as she had an opportunity to dive into a wide array of them over the last few months. You know, I'm not going to craft my message um, differently uh, because I've got a wider audience. I am who I am, you know, and if, if, if I stay true to who I am, um, then it, it won't, the work and the message that I put out when I campaign won't be different than the efforts that I'm doing when I legislate. I think I've pretty much been consistent um, and people will, will either will either believe in what I what I believe in and feel that they trust me or feel that they know me enough and feel confident that I will represent them or, or they don't and in, in both cases I deeply respect that that's democracy you know not to sound cheesy but it really is. In a previous interview for ICTV's New York State primary coverage Callis spoke about many issues she would handle if elected to the state assembly including ways to boost the economy and provide more affordable housing. But a topic that she has expanded on since the primary happened is broadband coverage across the state. Uh, so for the last couple of months, I've been working very hard to find um, a solution to our broadband problem. And that has been sort of what I've been eating, breathing, sleeping, and drinking is broadband. I think part of the problem with broadband is that the way that the system is right now, we outsource broadband to private companies. We call them internet service providers. So we give taxpayer money for them to build the physical wires, maintain the wires, and operate service through those wires. And there's not significant oversight on um, or enforcement um, of when they build those wires and where they build those wires to. So they are not going to build out to areas where they are going to lose money. And that tends to be the most rural areas. So it is not a model that works. Kellis wants to support the build-out of a regional nonprofit that is affiliated with municipalities as a way to shift the ownership of those wires to be municipally owned. I think that that is the right model with broadband so that it is truly universal and the focus and the priority is universal coverage. Disenfranchised communities across New York are a part of the groups that do not have universal broadband coverage, in addition to a lack of other resources such as affordable housing. In those communities, Cal said funding sources should be distributed to support nonprofits like the Ithaca Neighborhood Housing Services who prioritize affordable housing in those areas. But to address the issue statewide, Cal supports small-scale infill, but not in areas on the outskirts of town or outside infrastructures where water and sewers need to be added. 
you have to uh, integrate affordable housing into existing uh, communities and infrastructures. If you are adding housing in such a way that you have to add more water and sewer, you have to look at the maintenance cost of adding more water and sewer and what is the opportunity cost of that? You know, where could that be uh, better invested by a city? Back in June, Cal said one of the first issues she would handle if elected is racial justice. This is still true for Kellis, and one of her plans to tackle it is to look into alternatives to incarceration across New York, something she said that has been particularly done well in the local area. I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done, and I would love to see some of this done at the state level. You know, we have a mobile crisis unit, so instead of just law enforcement going out to uh, the scene, um, they can call a, you know, from the, um, the, the mental health department, uh, caseworkers that will go out and assess the scene. So if there is a mental health uh, situation that it uh, involved, that people um, can, uh, instead of just going straight into the criminal justice system or straight into jail, they could actually end up, you know, in the hospital or in, in another place that would be more appropriate, not straight into the criminal justice system. I think that is really important because so many of the cases that we have, like people who are in our county jail right now, 80% of them have either mental health issues or drug um, drug uh, related issues or both of them simultaneously. It's very, very high. Um, we have now a nurse that is uh, a mental health nurse who is, is in the jail and the assessments, instead of happening months later, you know, weeks or months later, they can happen within the first 24, 48 hours. That way they can get assistance right away. Kellis believes even though the county has focused on funding for reentry housing, Statewide, there is still lack of programming of facilities, reentry programs, and supports after the youth leave facilities. And as such, it ends up becoming a revolving door. And you know, and it's suspected that you know there's significant amount of recidivism. And I say suspected because the data has not been retained and reported on a regular basis. And that is something that we'd have to start with. We need to see the data so that we can have um, the creation of proper interventions. Um, but for you know, for sure, I would love to see reentry support um, implemented uh, in youth detention facilities. Um, to reduce the, the, the population and the numbers. We have to, you know, prioritize that and interventions that do that as a goal. Another recent topic that has been built off racial justice is to end qualified immunity in addition with calls to defund the police. Last June, Cal said she supported ending qualified immunity and that she now believes defunding the police means focusing resources on addressing structural racism in society. The system is racist. Our education system is racist. Our housing, our you know job access and opportunity. That entire system is racist. So in my mind, what does it mean by defund the police? It is identifying all of those things. If our priority is to reduce criminality, right? If our I, if our goal is to help the community, then we should be investing money first in public health measures. We should be investing money in housing. We should be addressing the, the structural racism in housing, in education, in, um, I mean, our curriculum, for example, is so white. You know, like the, there's so many things about black history, so many aspects of it that have never been taught. So, you know, we don't even have the emotional um, intelligence around uh, the, the lived experience of all the peoples in our country. Well, if we had those things, then we actually could reduce the need for the focus on law enforcement to fix all of these problems, right? So that to me is what is meant by defund the police. States across the country, including New York, 
are seeing a surge in COVID-19 cases. The pandemic itself has highlighted an issue when it comes to equitable health care coverage. Gallus remains to be a supporter of the New York Health Act, which is a universal single-payer health care system that she says is cost-effective for a state to move to. She says practical make the switch to this type of health care coverage in these COVID times, and that the public should start demanding the state to change. I need the public to fight for it as well, and that is something that I've heard. Um, to organize, 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 just like we did with anti-fracking. A huge success. We need the same thing with healthcare. In addition to that, Cal says she'll work to ensure that Roe v. Wade is codified, protected, and enforced in New York, should the U.S. Supreme Court overturn it. But when returning to the coronavirus, Governor Cuomo recently released a vaccine distribution plan for whenever a vaccine is approved by the FDA. Cal is a public health scientist, she says that if a vaccine goes through enough scientific rigor, then she will support adding it to the mandatory vaccinations list for children attending school in New York. She said there also needs to be more transparency about the vaccines being tested and created right now. But with that, she said there is still a lot of misunderstanding of the community surrounding its requirements in society. One, that it is in schools, as it currently stands. And two, that it is not criminalized. So if someone chooses, for example, not to vaccinate their children, they're not going to jail. They just can't send their children to private or public schools. And that's really important. Cal said people's constitutional rights will still be protected when it comes to the vaccine and that medical exemptions will also be offered. She also says she will do whatever is necessary to protect all New Yorkers from the virus should a second wave hit the area, even if that means bringing the state back to what it was like in March. Our livelihood is super important and we have to put other uh, systems in place, like super pushing the federal government, um, you know, to, to um, you know, put forward stimulus packages. But our job is to prevent death. And there's no going back from death. If it is necessary because we are having a surge in COVID cases, then yes, if that is what is deemed to be necessary, I would support it so that we can live another day to recover. Kel said she will stick to her values that she has outlined if elected and know that as an epidemiologist, the timing for her to be elected to the state assembly feels right. What you see is what you get. Um, and I uh, really focus on being as accessible as I possibly can. Um, and if that is what people want, then please, by all means, I would, I would love your support. And, and I, do, um, I do believe that in these days, um, in this time, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good fit for, for what I'm hearing in the community of what the community wants. Um, the last thing I would say is that I'm an epidemiologist in the middle of an epidemic. I will be the only public health uh, you know, PhD doctor in the entire state legislature. So for me, it just feels like it's the right time and place. To learn more about Kellis, you can go to our website at kellis4, as in the number 4, ny.com. If you'd like to learn more about Kels' opponent, you can listen to our interview with Matthew McIntyre later this week on this station or on WICB.org. Stay tuned to our social media pages for updates. For WICB News, I'm Jordan Broking. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, Follow WICB on SoundCloud and find us on podcast apps. Subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear the show anywhere, anytime, and subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager, Sam Ives, and programming director, Lou Barron. Thank you so much. Ithaca Now was produced by news director Jay Bradley, with assistance from news managing director Celine Tudor, news production director Hamadri Saif, and today's correspondents Christian Maitri, George Christopher, and Jordan Brocken. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundev of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Michael Memes. I'm Vedant Akari. I'm Tara Lynch. I'm Dan Orlick. And I'm Antonio Fermi. And thank you for listening to Ithaca Now's Politica 2020 on WICB. WICB.